We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast Wednesday. Uh, John McKechnie and Mario Puig here with you, taking you through the week that was in the NFL with free agency getting kicked off right around this time when we were recording uh, last week. Mario, now that we've had a week to kind of digest everything, how are you feeling? Uh, it's indigestion still. It's not good. Yeah, there's there's been some some gross uh, maneuverings uh, to be sure. Uh, right around this time last week, uh, it looked like the Ravens had. Um, Agreed to to sign Ryan Grant to a four year deal. Worth, and they did. Worth, oh yeah, <laughs> worth close to uh, thirty million dollars. But then they uh, took a cue from their crosstown Orioles and failed his physical. So that that ended up getting null and void. And thus, after that, they went ahead and signed Michael Crabtree, who had just been released by the Raiders. Right. And John, you're probably more informed on the Ravens than me. I mean, how do you see? a player like him who's kind of been like a short yardage and uh like red zone specialist in oakland uh how does how does that fit with flacco like we know flacco goes short a lot and like that part lines up but uh will it actually work or will it be a bunch of like you know broken up slant plays or something like well, that Well, i'm certainly more optimistic about it um than i would have been with, with ryan grant i think that crabtree can do is a little bit more of a complete receiver um than than what uh grant was going to bring to the table so i mean it, it really kind of depends on on the you know the the wide receiver one type of role in this offense because it's been a very kind of muddled uh thing over the last couple of years under marty morningwig and i don't expect it to be necessarily pretty but i do expect you know the the bottom line fantasy type of numbers uh for crabtree to end up being relatively strong i think he ends up pushing for close to a thousand yards even if it's not the most efficient and i think right. you know somewhere in this in the seven to ten touchdowns i think it's definitely in the range of possibility too Right, I think it's going to be pretty ugly myself, but in fantasy football, we might not care if it's ugly if he's getting 10 targets a game, which I think he might. Yep. Because, um, yeah, they've had a pretty uh, 
you know, blurry rotation at receiver the past couple of years. But I think someone like Crabtree, uh, you know, being an underneath guy, intermediate guy, rather than a mostly downfield sideline type like Mike Wallace, I don't think you can expect Crabtree to have the similar target volume that Wallace did. I think it'll be a lot higher because he's just more in the range of the field that Flacco works with in the first place. And what's crazy is uh, Wallace's first year in Baltimore in 2016, they they kind of turned him from that just downfield only specialist into a slightly more complete receiver. And whether that was you know to the, the best use of his skill set or not, that's certainly up for debate. But Wallace ended up having a pretty decent year uh, in 2016, not as good in 2017. But I, I think uh, Crabtree, st- this is isn't like a major dock as far as his his value goes because i mean last year last year you know under 60 catches he had you know only 14 games of of work but touchdowns were good uh target volume was over 100 so i think that we see something a little bit closer to crabtree's 2016 uh than we do with 2017 yeah i think he could actually see an upgrade in point per reception leagues at least because i would think we might need to put him on like triple digit reception watch just because Morningwig likes to throw the ball a lot. He's thrown it. Uh, the Ravens have been among the most pass-happy teams the last two years. Last year, they went more like too tight end about it because of, I guess, the, the back injury with Flacco. I don't know. But um, with Crabtree, it's like, I think they're going to go back to more of like the three-wide sort of system that they had two years ago. And especially if Wallace doesn't come back, it's just like we know there's going to be a ton of pass attempts and there just doesn't seem many candidates aside from Crabtree. No, there, there really aren't. And like, you know, you, you know, assuming that John Brown takes a starting role, which I, I think is a pretty fair assumption, uh, he's just still not the type of receiver that's on that high volume type of track. And we all. can't even take for granted that he'll, you know, be active more than eight games or something like that. Yeah, that's that's just kind so, of the way it is. I think I think in the at the end of the day, Baltimore still probably ends up attacking receiver in the draft probably on day two uh more more likely so than than day one but uh we'll see what happens there but either way i think we see crabtree be the number one receiver in baltimore immediately yeah far and away and uh so his exit from oakland cleared up room for jordy nelson to also uh go over to oakland from green bay and i think it's uh, with nelson it's kind of like best case scenario is he might do what crabtree did there the past couple years but as much as I thought Nelson was the clearly better player than Crabtree at their respective heights, I think right now there's reason to think that Crabtree is the better player. I think so, too. And if Nelson's stepping into this role where Crabtree only had 6.1 yards per target last year, I'm not expecting Nelson to hit seven, and I'm not expecting Nelson to get an enormous target volume with Amari Cooper already there. So I'm not particularly interested in Nelson this year, and I'm, I'm also... Uh, among those who think the Raiders are going to be a complete disaster. Yeah. Like, I'm not convinced Gruden makes it through the year before he decides he wants to go home and do cool stuff again. Yeah, I, I kind of want to open this uh, this can of worms here with the Raiders. You know, they, I think they got involved in the fullback trading market on Wednesday, on Tuesday or That's Wednesday. where all the inefficiency is. You got That's what you money ball with nowadays. Like, get the fullbacks. <laughs> Just stockpile them. Get them while they're cheap. <laughs> And then, then you get the money. And then you get the power. But yeah, so uh, who, who do they even trade for? Like Tom Rathman? I'm not even completely sure, to be honest with you, off the top of my head. It is just it kind of blew my mind. But um, seems like a Gruden thing to do. To like we we have to get the lead blocking fullback position accounted for. So I want you to just kind of expound on on your takes on Raiders, what they've done in free agency, and what that kind of signals for for what what 
this season is going to look like for them? I, I don't have like a particularly sharpened, you know, theory on it. It's just that I think that Gruden has, I think he, at the last point that he coached was exactly the kind of coach who can't stay afloat in today's environment. Like he was a successful coach at the time, of course, but he, you know, mostly had his ascent, excuse me, occur alongside very talented teams. And in Tampa's case, it was, you can kind of give Monty Kiffin, I think at least half the credit for making that Super Bowl victory. But it's like, they were a low tempo kind of team back then. Like even back in the you know late 90s or uh, the early two thousands, um, low tempo. And he seems to have kind of like gotten a bit more like fogeyish with his time away. Like comes back, not he's showing because, his Joe Gibbs. Like he's not as yeah. old as Gibbs was when he came back, but he's showing that like his coaching acumen might still be good, but it, it still might. It's just an odd fit for the way that the game has progressed since he last time he coached. Yeah. I mean, if you were low tempo, like uh, afraid of numbers almost 20 years ago, I don't expect cool. with age that person to become more insightful, um, especially with the league not resembling what it was when he may have known anything at all in the first place. And I don't think he necessarily was that good of a coach in the first place. I mean, like, other guys who did this, you know, time away, come back to any sort of, you know, slight success are guys like Parcells and Gibbs, which Gruden's nowhere near either of those coaches in terms of accomplishment, never got anywhere near them. So I think he's just going to be, you know, like a less effective version of him, same of his same self from before. And, you know, adding Doug Martin, not a good sign. It's like if you, it, it shows that he's at once, out of touch with the devaluation of the running back position that's occurred since he last coached. And he can't tell when a running back is useless in the moment either. Like Doug Martin, like he, he must think he's the Boise state guy. I don't know, but it's not the same player. And when the Buccaneers are like, we'd rather have Peyton Barber, you say I'd rather not have Doug Martin in any scenario, (laughs) let alone would you try to target him as a free agent? Yeah, that, wow. Yeah. Kind of the, the way you wrap that up, uh, yeah that's that's really the perfect way to put it there with martin just sort of you know being cast off of a team that was probably as arguably the worst running back situation in the nfl with the buccaneers and and like he's a castaway from them and and gruden makes it a priority to go get him uh that's just a you know seems pretty uh counterintuitive uh let's move on to the lions They, they um so last time we talked last week, uh, Ebron was uh, getting his pink slip from them. So they went ahead and they, they signed Luke Wilson uh, from Seattle uh, to fill a little bit of the tight end void. And then they also went ahead and signed uh, LeGarrette Blunt to a one-year deal. So a couple of additions, but I still think that those are two spots that need to be shored up in the draft uh, for the for the Lions. So first, I want to hear your takes on each of these guys, and then we'll, we'll go forward with what the, what it means for their draft. Right. So I'm kind of intrigued with both Wilson and Blunt as far as like, you know, zero dollar end of draft kind of considerations, especially in best ball right now, because with the Lions, I think that the Blunt signing is a clear indication that Matt Patricia is putting his hands on the offense. Like Jim Bob Cooter wanted nothing to do with a back like LeGarrette Blunt when he was under his, his own, you know, discretion. So Blunt's getting brought in seems like Patricia saying like, no, we're going to sign him. I don't know. We'll figure, we'll show you how to use him if you can't figure it out. Mm-hmm. And um, not to say that I think Blunt is going to get, you know, uh, handed a big role, but for now 
he, they're showing an interest in a power element that Cooter just did not care about. And it's in a backfield where there is no power. There is no running talent generally. Like I think Zach Zenner is the best running back on that team, but it doesn't seem like they're going to give him a serious look. So if they're not going to look at him, I would take Blunt over Abdullah and Riddick. Like Riddick's a slot receiver. He's not even a real running back. And Abdullah is just kind of like a draw running back. Not much you can do with him really. So I think Blunt, if they don't add running back talent, could get a surprisingly significant workload. And that's an offense with, uh, aside from Galladay, no obvious red zone targets either. So it's like Blunt could get quite a bit of red zone function in this offense. But they also could easily find a better running back in the draft with or after the draft without even really trying to do it. So with the, the way that the contract is structured, it's a relatively low uh, commitment from the Lions. So in you- terms of time, but they actually gave them like uh, two million guaranteed or something like that, which for that particular part of the market is kind of like you're expected to make the team at least. Oh, sure. Whereas like Jeremy Hill with the Patriots, he had like 150,000. So it's like him. I'm not so convinced is going to be on the team week one, but it seems like blunt's worst case scenario is kind of like, you know, he's, he's the beloved mascot and (laughs) there's the upside of he, of him getting, you know, pushing like 200 carries over the season and a lot of them occurring within scoring range. Okay. So yeah, that, that would be on the, on the upper range of possibilities, but with the financial considerations baked in here do you think that you know the lines have been a trendy team in a lot of mock drafts and just kind of general uh discussion that they might go and attack this running back class early and take a running back in their with their first pick do you still think that that happens if we're considering that they already have blunt now if they were interested in that then i don't think blunt would negate that interest but i would be skeptical or at least hesitant to believe that they wanted specifically a running back in the first round like i think that team has enough other areas that they could focus on in the first round and i think you could get a really really good running back in the second third fourth so i and and we i figured like abdullah is going to stick around for like that change of pace you know drawback kind of workload so it's not as if there's a workhorse roll up for grabs necessarily but yeah i think Geis is a really good player. I think Chubb's a really good player. It's not like I would criticize those picks specifically. It's just that for their roster, I might rather, you know, take whatever a corner in the first round and then try to get someone like Royce Freeman in the second. Okay. I thought that um, Sony Michelle made a lot of sense for them because they, they didn't really at the time have a running back that could both run between the tackles and catch the ball. Um, yeah i mean like pretty much all of those halfway decent running back prospects they could they could use so that's why that's kind of why i would wonder like would they really want to race to get one of them when they can kind of uh, it's like it seems like a pretty good corner class and uh, i know slay is really good but i think they might want to they, they need beef. another one they could use a lot more strength there in that division particularly with kirk cousins arriving rogers uh, already being there i think nagy's gonna put the heat on people more than they expect so yeah i, th- I think uh Geis or chubb or michelle would all be really productive useful players in that offense and uh they could take you know a running back in that first round uh, i guess i just um i probably wouldn't do it if i was them okay i'm with you that there, that there is going to be quality in the second and i think that probably the the signing of blount uh sort of makes it seem like maybe they will wait until the second round instead of being aggressive and, and going with the with that running back in the first i think you know if, you, if they wanted to go corner i think a guy like jair alexander uh, yeah. from, from louisville who's 
he's got some pretty good tape and he's got some pretty like funny moments on his tape as well with his celebration so i think he would fit in nicely across from slay uh if the if the lions did want to go that route um and then um, just circling back to Wilson, you know, yeah. you did mention that uh, Blunt is a type of guy that end a draft best ball type of scenario. The uh, you know the possibility there is interesting. What makes you think that like Wilson kind of fits that bill from the tight end spot? Well, it's largely just because they got rid of Ebron, and among their return, they also get, uh, lost Fells to Cleveland. So. I think Michael Roberts is going to do quite a bit as a blocking type tight end, red zone type of tight end. But otherwise, it looks like it's going to have to be a rookie if anyone else is going to put heat on Wilson. And rookie tight ends traditionally don't hit the ground running. So if only for a lack of competition and what still should be a pretty pass-happy offense and also a pass-happy offense with, aside from Galladay, no obvious red zone targets, Wilson, I think, could be a pretty cheap source of production this year. And I'm not even willing to concede that he isn't just good because uh, this is some uh, real classic stuff here for all you draft heads. But Luke Wilson was actually known as like the other tight end in that Rice offense that everyone loved Vance McDonald so much from. Yeah. And uh, it turned out it was like they both were actually really athletic. But Wilson's the kind of the better pass catching athlete of the two is like McDonald's maybe more uh, size adjusted athleticism. Cause he's like two seventy or something, but Wilson's the more natural like pass catcher of the two. And it's hard to look at a Seattle production off the bench and find any conclusions. It's, it's all generally pretty good, but it's not in a big enough uh, volume to, to see much in terms of, uh, you know, reliable tendencies in it. But what we do know about Wilson is that he's very athletic. Like when he came out of rice at 6'5", 251, ran a 4'5", 140, 38 inch vertical, good agility score, good broad jump. So he was also pretty productive at rice, especially when you consider he was basically playing as the second tight end mm-hmm. in that offense. So if, if Roberts is just blocking, I think Wilson could be running quite a few routes and we know he's very fast. Oh, well that's, uh, you know, that's, that's sort of a move there that I feel like didn't get much in the way of fanfare, but you know, like you said, you know, he looking, might be like the Doyle of this year or something. Yeah, th- this is just something where you know it just took a couple years based on you know situation, and now he's in a spot where um, you know it, it. I think it's fair to say that the Lions want to get something out of their tight end spot as a as a receiver and obviously ebron wasn't working there so maybe maybe this new change of scenery with that athleticism that that you mentioned makes wilson someone to kind of target late on yeah he could be like if we had to pinpoint one most likely you know barnage doyle type of implausible breakout at tight end i think wilson projects as about as closely to that as anyone not that i expect that to happen but if someone does it i think he's among the best candidates oh there you go and that you know that that one type of guy that breaks out a tight end every year is always someone that that kind of seemingly finds their way into the playoffs fantasy playoffs i mean um let's move on to dallas where there's a little bit of uh, wide receiver intrigue going on i'm not certain what's going on with des bryant right now but they're bringing in and i think this is a smart move they're bringing in a bunch of receivers on visits uh as of wednesday the headliner uh alan hearns i think he makes the most sense for them Um, but they're also bringing in deontay thompson who you know he had that one game last year that was pretty cool and then dontrell inman and justin hunter um so what's your take 
on Alan Hearns say that the Cowboys do go ahead and sign him. So he's got visits, I guess, with like 10 teams. It looks like he's not going to be especially cheap. I don't know how much Dallas can put toward him without cutting at least one of Des Bryant's, Terrence Williams, Cole Beasley. I think Des looked pretty bad last year, but he was so slow for a 29 year old that it almost doesn't make any sense. Like it doesn't it, it for it to have been decline. It's like he must have gotten in some kind of like moped accident and never mentioned to anyone that his knee is degenerative now or something like that because you don't fall off that fast Didn't without injury. The Chiefs game, he like tweak his ankle yeah. pretty badly. Uh, it was either that or his knee, but the, and he has a history of getting hurt all the time because he tries too hard to get yardage after the catch and then uh, defenders twist his ankle like four times over <laughs> and then he tries to play next week and he's not as good and so he might have been playing hurt for a bunch of the year and that can like it might have with Jimmy Graham's case too. It can explain drops because it's hard to focus in the air when you don't trust your leg, when you come back down and so on. So I would try to hold on to Des if I was Dallas, like cutting Des to clear up room for Hearns doesn't really make much sense to me as much as I think Hearns would be a great upgrade over Williams and Beasley. But I would cut those two, and I would not think Williams' contract is bizarre to me. Jerry Jones is so stupid. Ago, four years for seventeen million for for that guy. Who- Jerry Jones extended him and Cole Beasley, who I don't know if either one makes another roster if they're not in in Dallas. And Dallas was basically relying on one of the two as lead receiver whenever Dez wasn't available and the rest of the time they're kind of rotating as the second receiver that's just not viable no like Williams you know sitting here six foot two 210 you know pound guy that's a, that's a frame of a, of a nice big receiver 53 catches zero touchdowns yeah he doesn't what? he doesn't <laughs> separate at all and it was he had good per target numbers his his first few years there but that was just because of uh tony romo and dak prescott being very good quarterbacks yes and uh yeah it's it's uh terrence williams has nothing on Laurent robinson for instance uh this as far as dallas receivers no one cares about but <laughs> he's bad and Hearns would be a big upgrade there it looks like it won't be cheap though so uh Inman I I would say probably like all those guys are probably better than Terrence Williams and Cole Beasley but after Hearns I think there's a big drop off to Inman and I'm still something of a Justin Hunter truther but not so much really anymore that's that's you know it's okay it's it's safe to admit that here but do you think that um for for how good as Hearns was his second year you know the the thousand yard season with 10 touchdowns and then that being followed up with you know under 40 catches in under 500 yards each of the last two years I know injuries have been baked into both of those seasons but do you think that that you know at age 26 um, there there's plenty of reason to believe that he gets back to that thousand yard 10 touchdown type of uh, form that might be difficult to get to if only just because of it's hard to see where the uh, where the opportunity is among the league uh, teams right now on their rosters to to give Hearns that kind of usage but if he goes to Dallas I think he's no less than their second best receiver and I would like his chances there a lot more than I would like the Jets or something like that okay I think that's a that's a fair way of putting it but yeah 
I think I kind of threw out a, a lofty threshold at the thousand yard, ten touchdown uh, mark. That those type of seasons don't come around uh, too too often, especially not right. wide. Or he'll just too. cost a lot of money if if he if someone does think and have that particular expectation for him, he's going to be more like six eight million a year than the one to two that a lot of teams probably think he is. Exactly, and you know, just piggybacking off of that when it comes to the draft. Um, with the Cowboys, I think they've been a trendy team that, that people have talked about going after a receiver at 19. Uh, I mocked them as having or going after a receiver there. I had them going after Calvin Ridley. Um, do you think, regardless of what happens with these wide receiver visits, that they go after a receiver in the first round? Not necessarily, because there was a lot of reason to do it in past years, too, and they never did because uh, Jerry Jones is it. Although, yeah, I guess I got to what I was going to say was uh, Jerry Jones has this endless pattern of making bad first round picks at positions of need because he was just belligerent and neglectful of that position the previous years. And now maybe it's wide receivers turn after defensive end was last year and then they still stumble into getting Demarcus Lawrence and uh yeah david irving yeah david irving and it was just like and then charlton doesn't even play and it's like that's kind of what is that's what that's what jerry does like they did that with bobby carpenter like 12 years ago to the linebacker they take Mm -hmm. him in the first round because they don't have enough linebackers turns out bad and you move on to next year and you do the same thing so uh, i guess it's like if they do take a receiver because it's wide receivers turn to be the um you know reach to make up for past neat like unforced errors like maybe receiver would be it but then i wouldn't expect them to make the right pick so it's like i'd uh, not to discredit you know the the prescience of, of your first round mock that we'll talk about a little bit more in a second i don't think it would take ridley i think it would take some bad receiver but I'd, i guess i don't know who i think that is they'll screw it up is what i'm saying okay <laughs> that's no that's a, it's a hard to argue against that it seems like well in recent years too like just I guess starting back to the 2015 draft, it's been hard to hit solidly on that first round receiver. And like, this is another year where like, you know, the positional value, like it'll get them pushed up to where like I I could see multiple receivers getting picked in the first, but it doesn't really feel like a lot of these guys should be first round selections. I think there's a few, like, I think it's Ridley and Sutton and DJ Moore who probably are most justifiable in the first round, but this might be like the uh, was it 2007 draft when everyone was like, is it going to be Devin Thomas or Malcolm Kelly at 10th overall? And then no receivers went until the second round and it was Donnie Avery who went first. And didn't the Redskins get both those guys? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. <laughs> I worked yeah. in a sporting goods store. I remember having both of their jerseys prominently displayed in the uh, in the store. Wow, they're they they're not, set at receiver for sellers. a decade now. Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, I don't I don't I don't think. Um, there's any reason to believe this class will be that bad i just think it wouldn't be shocking if like the first receiver doesn't come off the board until like 25 or something like that support for this podcast comes from u.s bank if you're looking for a credit card that fits your lifestyle look no further u.s bank has credit cards that make every day rewarding no matter what you're into feeling hungry check out the u.s bank altitude go visa signature card earn four times points on takeout food delivery and dining and get two times points at gas stations grocery stores and on streaming That'll keep your wallet and your mouth full. Big spender? The U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card has a low intro APR for large purchases or balance transfers. And you call the shots with the U.S. Bank Cash Plus Visa Signature Card. Choose two categories each quarter. Earn 5% back on your first $2,000 of eligible purchases from those categories. So don't just get a credit card. 
Get the right card to make every day more rewarding. Cash back, merchandise, travel rewards, and low intro APRs are waiting. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. The creditor and issuer of these cards is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc., and the cards are available to United States residents only. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Okay, that, that's definitely fair. Um, and, you know, I guess we can piggyback that into that mock draft discussion. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you got if you read the whole thing or, or whatnot, but I, I think that, you know, kind of going along with what the general theme has been i think that we're going to see four quarterbacks go in the first five picks yeah that looks pretty uh reasonable and yeah you can check out john's first round mock there's no paywall on it so you can give it to your friends your children it's extremely free yeah so uh yeah you can check that out there and john had darnold going to one as of uh this was four days ago and as of today uh it is this i'm assuming they're going to make a holiday out of this uh sam darnold's pro day has through in the rain dude all the quarterbacks coaches in the league were there just weeping joyously they're they're hysterical and everybody wants this beautiful boy now and it's he's going to be the first pick it looks like um ben albright who uh he's he's probably like one of the better uh, like draft sourced reporters out there and he's saying some team in the top five i guess technically this could even be cleveland but it, i think he said it was a non-cleveland team i'm assuming that was implied in his tweet but some team in the top five says darnold is going to cleveland um, it's, it's funny that he's kind of having his moment moment right now because coming into the year you couldn't hear enough about him and then like there was sort of sort of like flaccid takes like yeah he's a number one quarterback but like it it wasn't as like strong as you know like the the times where it's like is baker mayfield the best quarterback in this class or, yeah. or you know earlier like the the josh allen uh all that noise I, I feel like darnold hasn't really gotten that moment in the sun until today and now it's it feels like on this you know carousel where we have to you know be infatuated with the quarterback for for a given amount of time and especially on the pro day pro days time. pro days and love it, quarterback pro days i mean he's he's a southern california guy but he threw in the rain so that showed that he can win in cleveland yeah that was like December. a blue collar kind of rain coming down and he played through it like a you know he's wearing just a hat golden too. golden boy he is and yeah it's kind of funny just like watching his stock uh reports over the past like 18 months or whatever it's been because after he finished you know uh, a season ago uh, two years i don't i don't know the proper way to refer to it his first year as starter when he ended like after the penn state bowl game everybody was You'd hooting number one last year yeah we were all hooting and like he's number one this is for sure and then he threw whatever like 12 interceptions and fumbled 30 times this year and everyone a lot of people were like he's he's a he's a dullard and he's bad. gone back he's a dullard and he's bad and he's um he's a he's a rich kid now but then uh with this pro day uh he's he's not orange county anymore he's blue collar he's uh the truth he's he's they just they cannot get enough of him now because he made some really nice throws in in the rain yeah. in practice today and I, i'm it's ridiculous to me like i like darnold like we've i mean i think we were the first people who were kind of on him and yet it's like um it, i don't understand how anyone cares about pro day quarterback performances anymore like didn't we it's unreal we know how scripted these things are it's like how many times does a davis webb need to hit 63 of 65 passes before we say don't tell me i don't care like just i, I don't johnny care. manziel wore a helmet during his he wore a helmet uh he had he was 
awesome in his pro day. But yeah, it's like, I want to say like, you know, Gabbert guys like that, they just make these coaches swoon in a pro day setting. Um, and you know, there's not necessarily any useful correlation there. So I don't care. Good for Darnold. I mean, uh, sorry about Cleveland, but good for you, whatever. Yeah. It seems like, okay. So I guess, uh, bottom line here, we both kind of feel pretty good that he goes number one then yeah i mean with especially when people like albright are reporting things like that and if if jay glazer comes out it's it's just you know then it's got it's in print yeah it's ink so uh moving on from him uh you know with the rest of the quarterbacks i had him shaken out um i have the giants not taking a, a quarterback but i i still feel kind of queasy about that i'm not not totally sure what ends up happening there i think cleveland might have just kind of I don't know if what you would call it. Uh, it's not calling a bluff exactly, but I think New York might have been basically cute about it up until this point. And if Cleveland does convince the whole league that they really are locked on Darnold, I think that might change the calculus a little bit for the Giants. And honestly, I th- I mean, we we both like Barkley, and he would be very productive for the Giants. Maybe they're you know uh, a top three player on that team instantly. But I think they would be objectively crazy to not take rosen there i think so too i think rosen definitely deserves to be this you know i think he deserves to be qb1 honestly but at the same time i understand if if cleveland's locked on darnold i can see the appeal there um but yeah i'd be surprised if rosen isn't the next quarterback off the board um that's the guy that i have um kind of when the dust settled off of the jets trading up uh into the number three spot which is something that that I think made made a ton of sense. I think for yeah. Indianapolis. I don't think that there's really that sort of generational player outside of the quarterback position in this draft, or one that you would take at number three. I don't think Bradley Chubb is as good as people are saying. I think his stock is a bit overblown. And then you know, a team like Indianapolis with the roster the way it is it needs a lot more than just a running back so moving back made a ton of sense uh the jets going up to get uh number three i think made a ton of sense for them too even though they you know they signed a couple quarterbacks last week so i thought rosen to the jets made all the sense in the world and i think that's that's gonna end up being a really good pick for them yeah if he gets if he doesn't go to the giants at two then he does go to the jets at three um and i guess i gotta i guess someone could trade up to the second pick if the giants are willing to do that that would be the other way uh, that Rosen doesn't end up in New York, but if he doesn't go to the Giants, he's going to the Jets, um, and then yeah, you get Baker Mayfield right after that, along with Josh Allen leaving Allen at five to Denver, and uh, the four spot with the Bills trading up for Mayfield, right? Um, because uh, you know the the Bills uh, kind of position themselves to do this uh, by flipping Cordy Glenn for the uh, Bengals first round pick, and then you know you don't need to adhere to these type of things strictly, but uh, if you look at the trade value chart. It, it, it added up if if buffalo wanted to use both their uh you know kind of uh first round picks that wouldn't have netted them a franchise quarterback package those together to a team that could use picks um then i think that it makes sense for buffalo to trade up and that's what that's the way i see it going eventually i think cleveland ends up trading down um again so i, I think baker ends up in buffalo at four i think that would be pretty much the best case scenario for the bills at this point because if they don't get a quarterback now that they've given away tyrod taylor it's like they're just gonna look like imbeciles there's Uh, no way that they don't like they must be like pan i mean i know aj mccarron like they went and signed him but he's worth at least a second and third round pick (laughs) sure yeah but like i mean yeah buffalo just can't 
go into this season without a high profile rookie rookie quarterback that like it's going to be because next year's draft class at the quarterback position is dreadful for, from all accounts so i think they they absolutely need to act right now and they need to get that guy right away yeah and i think mayfield is probably almost literally twice as good as josh allen but i gotta say the bills have been so consistently catastrophically bad with their front office management since this new regime took over last year i think it's almost more in character for them to go after allen because it would be just a predictable disaster but for their sake for i mean we got a few buffalo like i think mark stopa and kevin payne and tim Schuler of road wire are all buffalo bills fans yes. for some reason and if yeah if they don't get if they get josh allen instead of mayfield it's like i just have so much pity for them and all other bills fans but i hope allen goes to the broncos because i don't like john elway and i think that would be just a uh, good karma type stuff right there but uh also it would it would make your mock draft accurate so yeah, that would be pretty wild uh, if it all ends up <laughs> this way obviously things will change between then and, and draft day um but yeah i think alan if if he's there at five I, th- I don't really see the broncos going any other direction than than going after him i think that you know they talked to him at the senior bowl so that they coached him up uh worked with him so it seems like uh either mayfield or allen end up in denver in my opinion i think probably the way that i have this shaking out i think allen ends up being the guy and whether that's a good thing or not uh i know that we both are pretty outspoken about how we think that's going to end up but i i still think uh you know come april allen is the guy for for denver yeah that would make plenty of sense um i still feel like something has to go not the way people expect it to with Allen. like maybe he ends up falling to like 15 or something and denver trades back to get him not 15 that's where arizona is i don't know why they would trade up if not for a quarterback but something like that uh i don't know where lamar jackson is going to go but you gave him uh, 15 to arizona which i think makes enough sense because it's like uh, this is a Steve Wilkes team. He just came from Carolina. He's, I mean, for better or worse, that offense in Carolina had this model of Cam Newton, you know, being sort of like the anchor of this run emphasis offense. And if you want to make the run emphasis and you want a quarterback who can widen the contain and make it easier to run up the middle, like every single play, Lamar Jackson might fit for you. And Mike McCoy, the offensive coordinator, he's not exactly like a trailblazer at this point but he's also not one of the really old uh, retro he's kind of minds yeah he's not even like kenton wisenhunt you know let alone you know whatever worst of all time offensive coordinator we might want to uh, compare him to but i think he's i think mccoy is like open-minded enough and uh with the curve the recent curve enough to perhaps be a spot for jackson and if not there I think your Ravens at 16 make plenty of sense and uh, Chargers at 17 too. And then if he doesn't go there, I guess it's pretty much down to like New Orleans and Jacksonville, which New Orleans I think would work. They'd have to change the offense a little bit, but I think Sean Payton would be on it. Yeah, I think I think so too. And it's really just a, a matter of like, as long as New Orleans is cool with like spending a first round pick on someone that won't be there or won't be, you know, truly uh, – 
in the offense for what two more seasons is that so, that's how much longer drew Brees is going to be there something like that probably so okay so as i mean the saints are pretty close as it is to to being championship form so i mean they, they can definitely and the way that if they nail their upcoming draft the way they nailed last year's and they can certainly kind of uh make an investment in a guy like jackson and you know attack other perceived weaknesses on their on their roster with the rest of their picks because right, right now uh it's hard to doubt what that what that front office can do as far as their their talent valuation goes yeah and i i think it would be a great fit for jackson so i kind of hope that one happens so it's he gets the best of like you know no short-term pressure and then also like a a really healthy environment when he does get his shot because i'm terrified of some stupid team taking him and you know the the great unwashed a horde of fools who think he should be a receiver are going to jump on the table shirtless and make a bunch of noise covered in grease as they always are and i can't <laughs> bear the idea of that happening so i really hope it works for lamar and i'm gonna be like actually sincerely bitter if uh, some stupid team like i don't know buffalo i guess screws it up um but I yeah about i thought about miami and oh no no don't don't i know that makes a lot of sense that, that would i would he, cry because Miami's just kind of crazy enough to where they would do something like cursed that. team. Yes, they are cursed. Their their stadium must be built on a burial ground. Stephen Ross sure. is just one of the great fail billionaires of all time, as all billionaires are. But uh, yeah, just just a tremendous oaf. <laughs> so, so I don't know. I, I thought like with the way that things have gone with Ryan Tannehill and I mean, they do owe him some money still. Um, but I think that there could be like a break after the 2019 season. So like uh, ostensibly I could have seen the dolphins going after uh, Lamar Jackson. He would be like a sort of hometown hero. So like if Miami wasn't so cursed, I think that that would be cool. Oh, it's going to happen. Go to, that's the, that's the world we live in. I'm sorry, it's just man. the kind of world that Lamar Jackson gets drafted by the dolphins and Adam Gase. Like, <laughs> I don't know, suspends him for not being a good pocket quarterback or something. That's oh, that's desolate. Let's let's get on to something happier then. I mean, um looking out at the rest of uh the way I have this uh shaking out, um, what did you think of some of the other like skill position fits? So like DJ Chark to Jacksonville at twenty nine would kind of make sense from the value standpoint because he's I think if everything just goes poorly for him generally he'll still be one of the more dangerous downfield specialists in the league yeah and you can imagine his skill set rounding out more as a short and intermediate target too it's like he only did go routes at lsu because if you tried to ask their quarterbacks to throw a different kind of route they would you know just immediately throw an interception to a guy in alabama even if they weren't playing alabama they'd still throw a pick yeah so it's it's understandable that he didn't get used that way it's not necessarily proof that he can't do it um and if even if he can't do it right now like he can probably develop a little bit more and uh yeah dj Moore to to carolina at 24 i think would be a a good pick for the panthers but with uh i don't even remember the guy is it gettleman or no gettleman's the last guy right yeah he was uh he's it's herney now now. yeah i think so okay so that's the guy who wanted to draft jonathan stewart 12th overall or whatever after they took d'angelo williams in the first round and at the same time signed mike tolbert to like a four million dollar a year contract which was a lot at the time what i'm getting at is he has a history of stockpiling useless assets and not helping cam newton 
So it would be somewhat out of character in that sense if they took DJ Moore. But um, yeah, I think there's a good case to make. I'm agnostic on it, but I think there's a case to make that he should be the top receiver in the draft. Um, even if it feels a little odd in terms of like, you know, his pedigree and the, the, the most recent conventional narratives with him, it's like his athleticism is open and shut elite. The production was, even if you account for like the weird circumstances, probably also elite. And is it, it's not as if his film does anything to hurt him. In fact, this film is kind of what was his initial selling point. No one thought he would test the way he did at the combine. So exactly. um, yeah, I could see him going earlier than that. I can see him being the first receiver taken. And it's like kind of right now, if, if I had to really make the decision, I probably would take more over Ridley. Because, I mean, with with Ridley, like, it, it sort of feels there's, like, a little bit of, like, a finished product vibe with him. It I guess. feels safe, and I think it probably is, but more could be just really, really good, and there's there's no, like, signs of smoke in his prospect profile, whereas with Ridley, it's, like, his age cheapens the significance of his production which would otherwise be good but it's it's not as impressive because of his age and um, i'm not worried about his athleticism or anything but uh he's probably not the athlete that more is really he's probably faster in a straight line or something like that and maybe a little bit um a little bit more like flexible running in traffic something like that but Moore's bigger and has probably a better all around athleticism and he's his production for his age was excellent. So yeah. I think I think you can make the case for Moore and I think you can make the case for Sutton, but yeah, I think those are pr- probably along with Chark the the first receivers that we're going to see picked. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of yeah, obviously that that's the way uh that I'm that I'm leaning a little bit and then I mean otherwise um I was thinking we could get a couple quick hits on some more obscure prospects who have their pro days going on since uh, Absolutely. we've been doing these more free agency kind of focused podcasts of the past week or so. But um, yeah, I wanted to bring some more attention to my favorite player of all time, Ray Lowry from Old Dominion, who uh, he also he. OK, so Sam Darnold is is the grit boy of the greatest coal miner's son the greatest boy of all time because he had a good pro day in the rain well ray lowry was credited with a four five one forty and a 6.83 second three cone drill and i guess like a sleet storm mm-hmm. at his uh, pro day at old dominion and this is a guy who has hamstring worries and he's he's not big he's five nine two oh five they, they had him at but uh reminds me a lot of a ahmad bradshaw even as far as pedigree and regionality uh from marshall in his case and an injury it, it all is applicable and uh yet bradshaw had a very good career so i think lowry could have a similar outcome as that no one's talking about him he wasn't a combine invite but i think he's gonna do something in the nfl i expect him to be on a roster rather than a practice squad and i'll be shocked if he's at least not on a practice squad this year okay i can kind of get behind that he's a you know he's a guy that you've uh been a fan of i mean dating back to what like 2015 so basically like his first game at old dominion because he he had like a crazy freshman year where he averaged like 7.4 yards per carry and had like 16 touchdowns on just 
like 120 carries or something Wasn't like that. Or like a you know a really good running, like pretty established running back ahead of him or something heading into that year. I can't remember. Um, yeah, I really can't remember. It was he came out of nowhere though, and like when he did, it was just like, oh, this guy's a little different from most of these other uh, conference USA players or whatever he was. But um, yeah, it's okay. Seven point one yards per carry, sixteen touchdowns on one hundred and thirty one carry, one hundred thirty four carries rather. Uh, finished his career with over six yards per carry, forty five touchdowns. Uh, I think he can catch passes. He didn't do it a lot, but also that offense didn't move many. Uh, targets to him and what i like also about ray lowry is he had another good running back on his team jeremy cox uh, the past couple of years at old dominion but lowry always outperformed him right. by, by almost like a yard per carry maybe even more than that so when you're better than another another like effective solidly decent player that's always something good to see and i'm i'm pretty convinced that if he stays healthy he's gonna maybe even be on our radar as like a you know in season injury replacement kind of guy uh, if he lands on a you know thin enough depth chart but yeah other pro day stuff i mean baker mayfield recently had his and i guess like he was pretty impressive but wasn't as moving as darnold's apparently haven't because he was inside and he was wearing the karate kid uh, <laughs> right, yeah people were mad about the headband that's what the story was oh yeah they were like would you wear a headband to not very gritty interview? yeah but uh, yeah why would you wear a headband to a not job interview why 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 am i so good at getting offended at any stupid thing <laughs> it was, it was answer that hard. baker yeah take that but it's also, awfully suspicious of you to offend me like that yeah <laughs> sticking it sticking at oklahoma though a, a guy that you know um basically is a dd westbrook clone like uh, minus any of the production um if dd westbrook wasn't allowed to play you would have jeff Badet, and he's uh you know six foot under 180 pounds but unofficially ran a 42740 which you know probably i could see like he was fast so i could see where he's probably like a sub four four guy but i mean yeah. there's there's very little else to his game he did have a 39 and a half inch vertical um as well obviously with, with pro day numbers you gotta take him with a bit of a grain of salt um but at the same time i mean those are those are still good numbers but i i still think that maybe that just kind of bumps him from uh just not being or just being completely out of football this time next year to like maybe being uh, you know, a camp inviter or practice squad guy this summer. Yeah, he was productive at Kentucky, but not getting on the field at all. And Oklahoma had a pretty young group of receivers. Really, too. Yeah, I mean, like Ceedee Lamb and Hollywood Brown. Oh, and the freshman, the one redshirt freshman. There was the one guy who had the torn Achilles too. So it's like, uh, and he was supposed to be like their starting slot receiver. I can't even remember his name. Um, but yeah, so everything was looking good for Bidet, but he just didn't really get on the field and that's normally a bit of like a death sentence to a prospect if they can't get on the field as a grad transfer yeah that's just crazy so i mean again like those are impressive numbers but i mean at this stage still i'm not expecting to hear his name called in april yeah i don't i don't expect to hear it either and um yeah i was looking um I had something. I got a, I got another one here. Uh, Justin Watson from from the University of Pennsylvania. Oh yeah, interesting um, player. Really, really impressive. Uh, was he was he the star of the uh, Senior Bowl or was it the Shrine Game? Uh, I think it was the Shrine, but I think he he might have been one of those guys who was at both. Um, he didn't get a combine invite, I don't believe, but he ended up 
putting up really impressive workout numbers here. I mean, this is a guy that's, uh, I think like six foot three runs at four, three, nine 40, uh, with a 40 inch vertical and a 10 foot broad jump. So like all, all like the, you know, kind of upper end of what you look for or a really good, uh, type of results for each of those tests. So I think that he's kind of reinserted himself in the conversation. It's probably one of those guys that the NFL will look back and, and think, why do we not invite him to the combine? Yeah, I think he could get into the third or fourth rounds. And uh, aside from DJ Moore, he's probably the guy in the draft who had the best like market share numbers at receiver. He had some absurd percentage of uh, Penn's receiving production the past couple of years. I can't remember what it was, but very productive. And even if you you know give him a penalty for the pro day forty. He's still like a 215 pounder running a four five flat or something like that with elite production um, for his level and good workout number, very good workout numbers otherwise. So yeah, I would take him over a handful of like, I would much rather have him than like a Dion Kane or whoever it is that gets most like conventional default day two talent labels from a lot of, you know, conventional media. I, I like that too. And yeah, I think we're kind of on the same page as far as, um, what what Kane is at the next level uh sticking with Clemson for a second uh, I'm not sure that Ray Ray McLeod sticks at receiver at the next level but it's like he, a nickel corner he, right you ran, ran a 4-4 at the pro day and hmm. yeah I think that like he's really good at football like I, I don't think he was like an incredible uh receiver at, at, by any means at Clemson but he was always like in the right spots and I could see where a move to corner will behoove him I could see him you know to to put on a different comparison I feel like he'd be a better corner than what Tony Lippett has turned out to be. Yeah, not that I know anything about Lippett, and I guess they'd be a little like McLeod would probably be more of like an inside guy, whereas Lippett's like six two, more of the Seattle Jacksonville kind of corner build. Uh, but yeah, I, I honestly don't know much about McLeod. I remember having interest in him because his freshman year he had a couple big games, and I uh, was He's looking got a great at name too. Yeah, I was looking at picking him in DFS and stuff. And um, yeah, I, I don't think I ever got him on one of his big days, but he, he had a few of them way back then. And he's, he's that he's been on the, you know, scouting radar so much, even as a guy who didn't get much opportunity is pretty interesting. makes you think like at least the Clemson coaches are insisting like, you know, this guy's good. Um, I would, I would guess there's a pretty good chance McLeod gets drafted before Kane. And that's only because I don't think Kane, I think Kane might go undrafted. Like, I don't think he's good. This, this could end up being like a, um, like a Katie cannon type of trajectory or something. Yeah. And I mean, Katie cannon was way better than when Kane was, uh, Kane might've been the better athlete. might not have been, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, cannon was definitely the more productive player. Absolutely. Um, let's see. Um, another guy, um, I, I, I'm not going to go as far as to say like, uh, he's my guy the way that Ray Lowry is, uh, by any means, but like Philip Lindsay had a pretty impressive, uh, pro day as well, but there, there are also red flags here. He was a combine snub. I think he was also a senior bowl snub. So, I mean, that's two kind of big missed opportunities that could have, you know, had his stock trending in the right direction, but runs a four, three, eight in the 40 and, uh, puts up a 35 and a half inch vertical. Uh, the cone drill wasn't all that great. He was kind of like a workhorse back at Colorado. Like, yeah. I think he saw over 300 carries, uh, his senior year. Um, I don't think that by any means he's that at the next level, but he does have a 50 catch season to his ledger yeah. back in 2016. So if he can kind of reshape his game a little bit, maybe he's someone that, that sticks as, as like a third down pass catching back that you know a team doesn't have to pay for really just like goes and gets him in like the seventh round or something yeah i think there's a pretty good chance he could do like the Tariq cohen thing of switching between like you know getting four carries and 
uh, whatever, a kick return or two, and then also running some routes from the slot because I do think Lindsay's uh, is a actually good pass catcher. So he's, he's got that going for him. Might get on like the PPR radar and in deeper leagues down the road, but for now, yeah, I guess he, I mean, we're, we're talking long shots generally here, but uh, when, when you're able to catch the ball and you're as fast as he is, at least in today's environment, there's a chance you might be useful, better chance than, you know, 15 years ago. And, you know, for a guy that size to run with like this sort of pad level, he does like once he gets the ball, like he can be a guy that um, is not particularly fun for a, a smaller corner to tackle either. Right. And uh, like he's very prohibitively light, but at five, seven, you kind of have like a, a body mass uh, a center of gravity that kind of, gives you more sort of like traction and and, uh, ability to bounce off contact than the brute strength might lead you to think absolutely and then uh let's see rounding off a a bigger name here um a guy that didn't run the 40 at the combine to carry on johnson out of auburn uh his stock is sort of frozen uh, a little bit or maybe slid back (coughs) from where you know it might have been in december or january but he, he goes out and runs a four five four so it's it's nothing that's like gonna crater him i, I don't think it really moves him up at all four six combine but it's you, you would expect that watching his tape like yep. i think he's basically daniel thomas which is to say i think he'll probably be an okay backup daniel thomas wayne gallman those are the kinds of runners i think of when i look at him a lot of people like him in draft twitter uh i kind of don't like him much because of the yards per carry being under five that's I've not seen that work out well. Uh, Like the last time that worked, it was like Sean Alexander, and even he had a couple seasons over five, and it was a totally different game at the time. True. And uh, Karrion Johnson was also running behind future NFL offensive linemen and still largely unable to kind of uh, pull off that that sort of yards per carry threshold that that you mentioned. Um, I have one more pro day just to kind of like mention, just because like the numbers are eye popping, but this guy probably ends up going undrafted as well keith kirkwood out of temple runs a four four six forty at six foot three 221 with a ten and a half foot broad jump so i mean those are just numbers that are really impressive but that's he's interesting sort of, that sort of like fits like uh a tony stevens from auburn from a, from a year or two ago where he had uh ridiculous testing numbers uh, i think at their pro day but and it doesn't really end up you know on the draft radar per se right these are guys we're just watching kind of like in dynasty long shot leagues and things like that bi-week injury fill-ins and in, in unforeseen scenarios but he's kind of interesting uh, wasn't that productive late bloomer but i think you can call him a late bloomer at least because he had 671 yards this year 74 targets and an offense that didn't throw so well so yeah, like three to three quarterbacks played like significant time i think yeah i think this year i think kirkwood and uh, adonis jennings could both be uh, like undrafted temple guys who are on rosters or at least practice squads this year temple finding all these tall receivers i think jennings was actually like a ucla transfer or something like that or he was some four-star and he couldn't get into some school adonis sounds like a ucla type of receiver yeah but yeah he was they're they're probably both athletic so it'd be someone to watch uh at least in the preseason something like that but um yeah, we'll, we'll get to more of these pro days as they come along in, uh, between now and our next episodes. Yeah, so that is going to wrap things up for us today. Uh, we'll be back again next week digesting a little bit more of the, the last dregs of free agency and also kind of ramping things up uh, as far as our draft uh, coverage goes. We'll do some more breakdowns uh, of some players uh, next week. Uh, thanks again for listening, everybody. This is the Rotowire NFL Podcast.